Good morning, Mission Hill Church family. We're so glad that you're joining us for worship this morning uh, as we continue through the series through the book of James. Uh, we're excited to continue through. Hopefully you were here uh, last week and you were following with us as we looked at some of the historical background for the book and as we explored verses 1 through 4. This morning we're going to be in James chapter 1 and we're going to be looking at verses 5 all the way through 11. So if you have your Bibles or you want to get up and go grab those uh, really quick, we'd encourage you to do that uh, right now. I'm going to give us a quick review and, and, and just a couple things I, I want to point out to you. Number one is, hey, if you if you didn't get a chance or you weren't able to be here in person last week, uh, we have James booklets for you. And so we want to make sure you go ahead and get one of these. This is a simple tool uh, to help you kind of take notes as we go through the book. Uh, in here, there's a what we call a some background information for the book, too, that uh, some of it I referenced in our sermon last week. Some of it, there's some more uh, information there for you. So if you're interested in just kind of taking notes or you're an avid note taker, this is our gift to you. We want you to have one of those. We want you to be able to look back if you ever go back and study through James and just have all the notes that you have. So I, I'd encourage you. This is this is a tool. Hopefully this is a great gift for you. We encourage you to use it. But some of the things we talked about last week is, as we kind of explore the historical background, James is written to a, a people, uh, uh, James calls them the Jews in, in dispersion, right? He's writing to them and they're suffering. They're in the midst of economic strife. It looks like there's famine in the land and there's persecution because they are followers of Jesus. Their families don't like them. The Roman Empire doesn't like them all around. They're not very popular at all right now and they are suffering. And so that's the context into which the Holy Spirit inspires James, the brother of Jesus, to write to uh, the early church. And so that's, that's where we were. Last week, as I, as I finished off, I challenged us. I said, this, this series, we're going to be looking at how do we practically love people. And so my question for, for you guys was, as we, as we prayed to close out, did the Holy Spirit put someone on your heart? And were you faithful then to go actually love that person. And, and there, we talked about there's four different ways kind of that we, we are focusing on loving people in the book of James is through generosity, they're here on, your, on the cover, through generosity, support, words, and service. And so was there one of those ways that God called you to? There's, was there a specific person that he put on your heart to love this last week? My, my prayer, my hope is that there was. Um, if you would like to or able to, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? This morning we're going to be in J James chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. James chapter 1, it says in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not oppose, suppose that, that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is, double mind, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, let the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers fall, and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of all of his pursuits. That's God's word for us this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you'd send your Holy Spirit to be the teacher this morning. I pray that uh, I would get out of the way. Anything that's of me and, and not of you, Lord, would go in one ear and out the other. We pray that, Holy Spirit, you'd be the teacher. Soften our hearts to receive whatever you would have for us through this book in James, God. Um, help us to be people that depend on you. In your name we pray. Amen. 
So for those of you who don't know, uh, and I think many of you do know, I grew up as, as a missionary kid. Uh, my parents were with Youth with Mission, and we were overseas uh, for many years. Primarily, the, the main place I spent most of my years was in uh, Taipei, Taiwan. And while I was there, uh, there was this tension for my parents to try to figure out, like, what, what are we going to do with our kids in terms of education? Are we going to put them into a local school? Are they going to go to a, a Christian international school? And, and as they figured that out and they sought the Lord, they kind of came up with, okay, we, we really feel like... Like our kids should go to, to the Christian kind of missionary international school that was there. And so uh, that's where we attended uh, growing up. And the problem with this was that it, it was a long ways away. So I had to travel for about an hour every day into the city by myself, uh, starting in fourth grade. And as I traveled there daily, I realized like this is, this is costing my parents a significant amount of money. We didn't have a lot of uh, financial support at the time as missionaries. Our sending church back in the States had actually uh, imploded and, and kind of fallen apart and, and they weren't able to support us financially anymore. And so here are my parents with these really big kind of uh, school fees, unable to pay for us, but still feeling the conviction that God is, is call, was calling us to, to be students there. And so uh, I, we had gotten some scholarships I was able to, you know, keep my grades up, get some scholarships. It still came to a point, though, where my parents were unable to actually pay for our school fees. You know, they, they just didn't have the support um, that they needed. And so I remember going to school and, and they would send home a letter to have our parents, like, remind them, hey, you need to actually pay those school fees. And, um, you know, which is, you know, normal and typical for a school to do. And my parents, I'd come home and be like, hey. And then my parents eventually, after a few days of this, got just very honest with me and said, Joel, we don't, we don't actually have enough money to pay for your school fees. We're, we're going to need to trust in the Lord. We're going to need to depend on him to provide for us in some kind of way. And I thought, okay. And then a week went by, and, and, and pretty soon they, they, they post all, you know, again, they sent home a letter, hey, please, let the, please make sure you pay your kids school fees. And actually, eventually, for, for families that didn't pay the school fees and the school was really trying to get their attention to, in Taiwan, it's an honor-shame culture. And so um, the same time they, they would post this, this bulletin, and, and on this bulletin, there were all the names of the students on the honor roll, which I was on the honor roll and was really proud of. But at the same time, my name was also under the list of students that didn't pay their school fees and still needed to pay their school fees. And then eventually, I remember the note, final letter coming home with my parents that said, hey, if, if your son doesn't pay the school fees, like he can't come to school tomorrow. And I remember just kind of this, this stress as, as a kid. I think I was in middle school at the time. And I remember just all of this pressure and feeling that's just kind of stuck in the midst of all of this. And my, my dad and my mom just saying, Joel, it's okay. Just trust the Lord. God's going to provide for you, right? And I remember getting up the next morning, getting ready to go to school and, and, and saying to my dad, dad, like, I don't, I, are they going to send me home? I don't know what's going to happen. He's like, just go, just trust the Lord. It's, it's, it's going to be okay. We're going to depend on him and it's going to be all right. And me thinking, my gosh, all right, this is, this is a serious step of faith. Well, that morning, it so happened that we actually went out uh, to the front of our house and over the gate of our house where we lived, someone had dropped uh, a gift envelope. In Taiwan, uh, culturally, the way that people give money is, is in these red packets and these red, red envelopes. And on that red envelope that was stuffed with several thousand U.S. dollars, there was just a simple a note that said in Mandarin Chinese, it said, Jehovah Jireh, Jesus is Lord. 
And someone, God had put it on someone's heart, and I still to this day have no idea who this person was, but they had just dropped off all the money I needed for, for my school fees, all the, parents of my, all the money my parents needed for our school fees, and more. And I walked to school that day and was able to actually pay our school fees. It was an amazing picture of my parents' just faith and their dependence on the Lord. Something that was instilled in me uh, to this day, just this, this deep dependence on the Lord. And, and I realized in, in that moment, my parents didn't freak out. They didn't uh, lose sight of their, their call to, to the people of Taiwan and to proclaim the gospel uh, to them. They didn't give up. They didn't quit. They didn't turn around. In, in that moment, they cried out to the Lord. They asked for wisdom and they depended on Jesus. And that's something that was instilled and, and, and just deep in my heart at a young age and is with me even to this day. And I tell you this story not because my parents' faith was awesome or my faith was awesome or anything like that. I, I tell you this story because I want you to know that we can depend on Jesus, that he's a good and generous father who is dependable. We can trust him to, to show up for us when we need him the most. And that's what the text this morning is is speaking to. We have these people who are suffering, they're struggling, they don't have food, financial needs are under persecution, and yet James is calling them to have faith and say, hey, if you're stuck, if you don't know what to do, seek and ask the Lord for wisdom. And we're going to see how that plays out as, as, as we go through the text. But he's going to be very clear. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor, no matter what your circumstance may be, you need to keep your eyes on Jesus. Because as soon as we take our eyes off of Jesus, we start looking other places, we, we lose our focus. We lose our focus on Jesus and we start to depend on ourselves or other things in this world instead of depending on Jesus, who's the only one that we, can, we know will show up for us faithfully. He's the only one that we can truly depend on. Let's look at the text this morning. So in verse 5, it says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. All right, so, so what's going on here? What, what's, what's being said? Remember back in verse 4, if you followed along last week with the sermon, if not, he, here it says, it says, And let steadfastness have full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Right? So if he's saying have faith so that you can produce this steadfastness and you're just going to end up lacking nothing. But he's saying in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom. So if any of you find yourselves in this situation where you're like, I have no idea what to do. Like, I'm stuck, Lord. Like, I don't have food. I don't have uh, finances. I don't have a job. Like, th these people are truly suffering. Their families hate them. They're, they're being persecuted. If you find yourself in this circumstance where you're like, I don't know what to do. James is saying, cry out to the Lord and ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. Ask him, what, what should I do? What should I do? And then he says, like, here's what God's going to do. He's going to respond to you. He's, he's not going to withhold from you. Look at what he says. How does, in verse 5, how does he then respond to your quest for wisdom? He gives generously, right? And without reproach. So what is, what is James telling us about God? He's saying your father who loves you, he gives generously. He gives abundantly, right? And he gives without reproach. That, that simply means he's, he's not angry or disappointed when you come to him and, and ask for something. I mean, think about it for a second. If, if my kids, if we haven't had dinner yet, and my kids come to me and I know it's getting later and they should have eaten by now and they're like, dad, hey, we're, we're hungry. What are we doing for dinner? Like, I'm not angry at them. I don't want to withhold dinner 
from them because I love them. I want them to be fed. I don't want them to be hungry. And what James is saying, that's, that's who your heavenly father is. You know this to be true about your heavenly father, that he is a generous, gracious God. He's not disappointed or, or angry with you because you're in a situation and you're crying out for help saying, Lord, I, I need wisdom. I have no idea what to do in this circumstance. God's not angry or disappointed in you. He's saying this is exactly where you should come. You should come to me as your heavenly father and I will give you wisdom generously. I'm going to reveal what you should do. I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to meet you where you are. God's not disappointed in you. He doesn't withhold. He's not a selfish God. He gives abundantly, generously. He didn't withhold his own son. Think about that. For, for, for just for a second, he doesn't even withhold his own son. He gives graciously and abundantly. Verses 6 then and 8 go on to say this. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in his way. So how do we ask, right? So James is saying, ask. If you, if you don't have wisdom, ask for wisdom from the Lord. If you don't know what to do, cry out to God for help, and he's going to give it to you. But then how do you go about actually doing that? Like practically, what is that? How do we do that? And James says, do that with faith. We ask with faith, not with doubt. Right? And, and here's the thing, guys, is that, hold on a second, because we can jump to all kinds of conclusions, but I want to keep it in context. When it comes to doubt, we see a lot of people that doubt in the Bible. The question is, what are they, what are they doubting? Because I want to keep the context here. When we look at Jesus in the Gospels, we see that he faces and encounters people that have doubt all the time. If we look at Mark chapter 9, verse 24, there's this man who's crying out for his son to be healed, and he asks Jesus, Jesus asks him, do you believe? He says, I believe, but help my unbelief, right? There seems to be some kind of doubt that's there. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, we see that actually our faith comes from the Lord. Like our confidence comes from the Lord. It's a gift from him. So when it comes to doubt, we, I want to be really careful. The question is, what are we doubting? Because here's the thing. When, when there's someone who's crying out for help for their child to be saved or someone to be brought back from the dead, it seems like in our minds, there's this impossible thing. It's like, this is too good to be true. Like, I, I, I know God. I believe. I'm choosing to believe that you can do this, but it just seems like it's impossible. I believe that you can restore and reconcile this relationship, but it seems impossible in this moment. I believe that you can heal this person, God, but it seems pretty impossible. Like, everything logically in my mind, it doesn't make sense. Even when it comes to Christ at the cross, the, the resurrection, it seems impossible. And yet God did it. It's amazing. It, it's miraculous. And so what doubt he's speaking to here, when James is addressing doubt, this is not the doubt he's talking about. That's not the conflict of like, I, I believe God can do the impossible. But man, it seems like it's impossible. That's, that's not the doubt that he's being, that's being talked about here. What is the doubt that James is addressing here? The, the doubt that James is addressing has to do with God's character and nature. See, because specifically he says, he, he lets his, his readers know that God is a generous God who gives without reproach, right? So what we're looking at here, what James is challenging us to look at here is 
God's character and nature. When we, when we have faith, when, when we ask from God, what do we believe about his character and nature? Do we believe that he's generous and he gives without reproach? Or do we believe that God's up in heaven, like withholding, be like, I don't want to, I don't really want to give you my good gifts. Like, what do we actually believe? Because struggling to, to wrap our minds around the impossible is, is one kind of doubt. That's one kind of thing. But to actually doubt who God is, his character and nature, who his word says he is, that's, that's a whole different kind of doubt. When we engage in that kind of doubt, when we believe that God is withholding from us, well, that's, that's totally different. That's questioning his character and nature. That kind of doubt dishonors God. And that's the kind of doubt that James is, is talking about here. He's saying, like, if you believe that God gave you his, his son, who went to the cross, paid the penalty for your sins, rose again the third day, conquering sin and death, if you believe that, but... You think when it comes to wisdom and your practical needs that he's up there like, well, I gave enough already. Like, I, I, don't, I, don't, need, I don't need to give, I'm withholding this from you. Or I can't believe you're coming in. That's not who God is, right? If we believe that about God, our emotions are, are, are all over the place. Are, 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 uh, we're tossed to and fro like the sea. Our emotions become all over the place. In, in today's terms, we would call that person an emotionally unstable person. And let me tell you how kind of that, that, that plays out for, for us today, right? And, and, and unfortunately, I think we do this. I know I've done this in my own life. This is what happens. We say, God, there's something I really, really want. Or maybe there's something I even need. And I think if we're honest, we get needs and wants confused a little bit, right? But we come before God and say, hey, God, if you will just, if you will do this for me, then I will, you know, come to church faithfully, show up to my gospel community, my discipleship group, my Sunday school class. Like, God, if you will, if you'll just do this for me, I'll volunteer. I'll, I'll love my neighbors better than I'll make sure I volunteer for uh, the school. I'll make sure I give this amount of money to somewhere. We, we start bartering in our mind with God and it's offensive to his character and nature because what we're saying is, God, I don't think that you're generous enough with me. I think you're withholding your good gifts from me and you need me to do something for you so that you will actually love me and release those gifts to me. And that's not who God is. That's not who, who the Bible says he is. That's not the God that we see throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. God doesn't withhold his gifts. He's generous. He's loving. Guys, church, listen, if, if, if God loved us enough to send us Jesus to go to the cross for us, he is, he is reliable for us to trust him, to be generous. All throughout scripture, he lavishes his grace on us. He lavishes his love on us. He is abundantly good and gracious, merciful and giving. He doesn't withhold his gifts. We can trust him to show up. When we bring our needs before him, when we cry out for help, God always answers. It may not be the answer you want, and it may not be in the timing that you want, but God is always faithful to answer. You can trust him. He's a generous, generous God. So that's what James is saying. Listen, we don't have to be this way. We don't have to barter with God. He's not withholding. He's giving graciously for you, to you as you ask for wisdom. Verses 9 through 10 then. Let's look at those. He says, Let the lowly brother boast in his ex exaltation and let the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and the beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away 
in the midst of his pursuits, all right? So what is James talking about? Again, let's remember the context. You have these people, the early church, suffering, persecution is going on, right? And within this group of people that is struggling, you have rich people, the lowly, or, and then you have the lowly brother, right? So you have the rich and the poor, you have different socioeconomic statuses, but everyone is feeling it because of the economic times, the political unrest, some of the stuff we talked about last week, right? And what James is, is saying here is, listen, Poor brothers and sisters, rich brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't matter. You all need to depend on Jesus. You equally need the gospel because when it comes to the foot of the cross, rich or poor, it doesn't matter. You're all equal. You all desperately are sinners. Uh, you all are sinners in desperate need of a savior. That's the reality of our spiritual state before God. Jesus is calling, James is calling them to focus on Jesus. That's his heart for them. For the lowly, right, for those that are poor, right, they would look at the world around them and the world around them would say, you're not successful, you're in need. Like, you don't have power, you don't have authority. And, and, and James is saying, that's fine. Boast in the fact that Christ, even though you're lowly, you're not successful according to the world, you don't have a lot of money according to what the world would say, you can boast in the fact that Jesus saw you, he knew you, he went to the cross for you, and in the kingdom of God, the first shall be last and the last shall be first, right? And, and, and celebrate the good news of the gospel. Boast in the gospel is what he's telling him to do. And then he turns to, to, the, to the rich people and he says the same thing to them. You can boast in the gospel also because here's the good news of the gospel is that even though you're rich, you seem like you may have everything according to the world. You needed to humble yourself to say, even though I have status, power, money, I desperately needed a savior. It doesn't matter that I, that I have all of this stuff. At the end of the day, what James is saying is like a flower of the grass of the field. It's going to wither and die. What he's saying is all this stuff that you have, you can't take it with you. At the end of the day, you can't take it with you. And so as I look at this and I look at what James is saying to, to both these people, remind them they're equal at the foot of the, the cross, that the poor can, can celebrate and proclaim that they've been exalted in the kingdom of God and that the, the rich, the powerful people of influence can actually celebrate in their humility in the kingdom of God because they recognize at the foot of the cross they're equal. As they say that, James is also reminding them, and I think both people really in this moment that the pursuit of those things, eventually, all of it withers and dies because you can't take it with you. As you, you've seen the, the plants, the flowers, I mean, for those of you guys that are around here, you know, last week we had a few days in the 90s and it fried a bunch of people's flowers, right? I mean, it killed a bunch of plants. You may have tried and toiled to plant those flowers and then all of a sudden a hot day comes, that sun comes, scorches them up, right? And that's what James is saying is like all this stuff that we tend to chase after in life, the worldly measures of success and, and power and, and influence and all those things at the end of the day, you can't take them with you when you're gone. You can't take them with you. They will not last. All those things that seem so important to us, all the things that, that we are like, man, this, we just make sure we got to do this and our step plan, all those things. We can't take them with us. And, and, and I read that, and I'm challenged, and I'm reminded that, yeah, it, it withers and it's gone. 
The question I think we need to ask ourselves, the question I am asking myself this morning is, how, how much of my life right now, how much of the time in my life right now is spent on things that will wither and fade away? Like just, just think about that. How much of your time, how much of the time do you spend daily on things that eventually will perish, will wither, get scorched, and be gone? How, in, in other words, how, many, how much of your time is spent on things when you're gone you can't take with you? Versus how much time have you spent on kingdom things today or this week or throughout your life? I mean, what, what's the proportion that we're looking at? What are we living for, essentially, is the question I'm getting at. Because here's, here's the reality. All of your money, all of your power, all of your influence, none of that will save you. None of that will go to the cross for you. None of it will save you. None of that is going to reconcile you back to a God who loves you and wants relationship with you. Only Jesus can save you. And that's why James can say to my poor brothers and sisters, to my rich brothers and sisters, it is only the cross that unites us, that, that, that brings us equally before the Lord. So let us boast not in what we have or what we don't have, but let us boast in Jesus and what he's done for us. Listen, the heart issue here that we need to get at and deal with is this. The heart issue here is dependence. For the rich and for the poor, the question is, who will you depend on? And, and here's the thing is, the, these people that are struggling or feel like they're not actually getting the things that they need, or maybe it's just the things that they want, like at, at the end of the day, when, when we feel like we don't have, and we feel like God's not coming through for us, we kind of switch our focus and we're like, all right, well, God's not showing up, so I need to show up. I need to do this. I need to work harder. I need to spend more time. Like I need to be smarter. I, and, and we become self-reliant and there's this self-dependence that, that comes up. And instead of asking for wisdom and waiting on the Lord, we are like, I come up with my own ideas and come up with my own solutions. And when those don't work out, I think we become desperate and we can run after the things of this world so much so that at the end of the day, we stop being dependent on God at all. We stop trusting him. And that's dangerous because when it doesn't work out the way we want it to, I mean, what are we willing to do to get the things that we need if we're depending on ourselves? Are we willing to, to bend the rules a little bit? Are we willing to, to break the rules a little bit? Are we willing to take advantage, exploit other people? I mean, when we're just dependent on ourselves, we're going to get ours, right? I mean, that becomes the attitude that we have. Listen, this, for those of you that are thinking this may be, you know, well, the work, it's a work ethic issue. That's not what James, that's not the context at all what James is talking about. These aren't lazy people in the church or anything like that. These are people who can't get jobs because of economic hardships. There's not enough food. We're talking about widows and orphans. We're talking about people that are following Jesus but are persecuted and struggling. So this isn't a work ethic issue. This is a, we have no idea what to do. We need to depend on the Lord kind of issue. So for the poor, they may think, man, I need to, what am I going to be willing to do? But for the rich, they, they also struggle with this. Because at some point, they have so many resources and so much money that they don't need God. Like you get to this point where maybe it's like, I just, I don't, I don't know if I need to depend on the Lord because I can depend on myself. I can depend on my own wealth. I can depend on my own resources at the end of the day, and you forget that you're dependent on Jesus. And, and, and so hear my heart, whether you're rich or you're poor, and for, certainly for the church, no matter your socioeconomic status, we all need to depend on our Heavenly Father. 
There, no matter how many resources, power, influence, no matter how much you may have, at the end of the day, there will all come a moment where even powerful people came to Jesus and said, I believe, I need your help. My son or daughter is dying. I believe, help my unbelief. Save me, Lord, in the midst of this. Because at the end of the day, there's this realization, this needs to be this understanding that we cannot take it all with us. Right? And so it becomes this dependence issue. Whether you're poor or you're rich, it doesn't matter. Our call is to depend on Jesus. And if we're not careful, we all stop trusting God to provide. And we think that we need to provide for ourselves. And we begin to try to make things happen. We become impatient. Listen, James says this. We need to depend on the Lord, no matter our circumstance, no matter our socioeconomic status, we are called to depend on the Lord. And we can do that and trust that he's going to deliver because he's a generous, gracious, and good God. He's a God who loves us deeply. He didn't withhold. He sent his son for us. And so the, the question we need to ask ourselves is, is if, if we have a generous, loving God, and we're called to generously love other people, how do we go about doing that? How, how do we, because here's the thing, when we, when we start being self-reliant, we start hoarding our resources. We become selfish, like with our money, with our, with our time, with the things we should be generous with as God is generous with. Instead, we respond in the opposite way and we don't love people. We become selfish and greedy and we hoard all the stuff we have because we're afraid of losing it because we become self-dependent instead of trusting and depending on God. So what is it that God's calling you to be generous with this week? Here, here, here's my heart for us is that we would, as our Heavenly Father is generous, that, that we're called to follow Jesus' example of being generous and be generous ourselves. So are, are, are we generous with our time, with our money, I mean, with our food? Like, just break down all of the different areas of your life. How are you generous with those different areas of your life. We're called to be a generous people like Jesus. Church, we're focusing on loving people for these next 12 weeks. And so my challenge, my, my, my question for us is, how will we go about, can you go about loving someone and by being generous to them this next week? And this, this can come in a lot of forms. I think, I think for us, to be honest, the most difficult thing for us to be generous with is our time. We don't want to give our time. It's incredibly, incredibly valuable to us. But if you saw the video last week, Andy Simbala, he talks about listening to people. If you watched Doris in the video this morning, you saw that she talked about listening to people and then bringing meals to them. She, she met their needs because she took her time. She was willing to give generously of her time to love people. Guys, here, here's the thing is followers of Jesus, we're called to live out our faith. We need to be generous with our resources to others because we have a generous God who gives, he doesn't withhold for us. So how is God calling you to be generous with your time this week? Maybe it's not your time, maybe it's your money. Maybe you know of someone in financial need, a friend, a neighbor, a friend of a fan, a friend, an extended family member, maybe an organization or someone, someone that, that is in need of financial aid. God calls us to be generous. Are you willing to be generous with your finances to someone in need? Maybe it's just a random blessing for someone. Um, paying for someone's meal at, at a restaurant or getting, uh, serving a homeless person a meal or, or buying something for them. Whatever it is, how is God calling you to be generous 
with your finances this week. Another way I thought of is I think this incorporates both time and money, but hospitality. I think this plays out in our lives. Are you willing to be hospitable to people? That requires both time and money. Are you willing to open up your home and invite others in? I, I know for me, like, this becomes a struggle. I, I don't mind having people in my house and I invite it, but there's always that one thing. Like, there's always usually a food item, you know, if, if it's around Christmas time or something. Grace will a lot of times get me my favorite chocolates or these Bordeaux sees candies. And I know to have people over to our house means if like, I'm really going to make them feel welcome and, and really give generously to people, that means that, hey, this thing that I love the most, I'm willing to share it with other people. And if I'm honest in my heart, that's difficult to do, right? We have, we hold on to these things and it's like we're not truly being generous. And so, so even in your hospitality, maybe for you, it's just opening up your home. Maybe it's making a meal. Maybe it's just willing to give the best of your best to others to make people, neighbors, friends, family feel welcomed. But God's called us to be generous in all of our things, whether it's our hospitality, our time, our finances. We are called to be generous as our Heavenly Father has been generous with us. Guys, we have a God who doesn't leave us or forsake us. He's always generous. He doesn't withhold. He didn't withhold with my school fees when I was desperately in need of it. The scared kid going to school. He doesn't withhold uh, his own son when it comes to to the cross for us. He doesn't withhold in the little things in life. If we are generous... We, we are generous because we serve a generous God. And we want to follow Jesus. We want to be a people that is known for loving others. And one of the ways that we love others is by being generous with them. So will you pray with me as we close out this morning? Heavenly Father, I ask that you come. Send your spirit. I pray for everyone, God, that's, that's hearing this, that, that we would just be take a second and listen. I ask that you send your Holy Spirit to send to put someone on our hearts, our minds, that we would open our ears to listen this week. And that we would see, we would seek out opportunities to be generous with others. Whether it's with our time, our finances, with our hospitality, or or whatever else it may be, Lord, I pray that we, like you, Jesus, would be willing to be generous as we follow you. We would love people well with our generosity this week. We can't do that in our own strength. We confess we need your spirit to help lead us and guide us in our generosity. We ask that you'd come and be with us as we know you don't withhold. In your name we pray. Amen.